1: from the PacWest Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth.
0: Ready to take the snap. He went three yards from the five down to the two. He'll take the direct snap from Levengood here. Jam Griffin on his left hip. Coletto runs left over left guard. Jack is in. Touchdown Beavers. The Jackhammer's second touchdown of the night.
2: Anyway, this keeps us in the race. Still got a lot of football left. Uh, what are we, five and two now? And uh, still in the hunt. I still believe that that nobody will go through the the Pac-12 schedule undefeated. And uh, you know the history has bore that out. I think mean, most most years. You
3: know, I feel two ways about it. Um, the officiating was. was really poor tonight, um, but we still should have won the game. Like That's, that's part of our football. And-
0: want to know what you make of Pac-12 officiating? What do you make of the Pac-12 landscape as a whole? we got a great show today. We're going to talk a lot about college football, the NFL, the NBA starting this week officially. Blazers get their opener this week. Uh, some talk about what there is to be hopeful about this season, but I want to start uh, with a with a, just a look at the Pac twelve conference. You had a big weekend as Oregon State. Congrats to the Beavers, big win at home against Washington State twenty four to ten. A little bit of a statement from Jonathan Smith's team. They get a they get a lull in the schedule. He'll never say it. Players will never say it, but you got Colorado, you got Cal, you got Arizona State, you got Washington. You have a real opportunity for Oregon State in their next four or five games to make a statement about what kind of season they want to have. Can they get to eight wins? Can they get to nine wins? Meanwhile, I was in Salt Lake City. Epic game there as Utah came from behind in the fourth quarter, scored the touchdown, went for two. Kyle Whittingham not wanting any part of overtime. Got the win at the end of regulation, 43-42. Fantastic game. Fun football game. But, again, you heard Lincoln Riley's comments on officiating towards the end there uh, of the Open, and he's not happy. USC fans are not happy. And I also think if you are somebody who follows college football, uh, you you may look across the country and see Nick Saban unhappy with officiating. You may see the Big 12 coaches unhappy with the officiating. But in the Pac-12 conference, it, it feels like it's not as good as other places. Is that me being kind, sugarcoating a little bit? Like, it doesn't feel like the Pac-12 officials do as good a job as some of the other college football officials. College football game day heading to Eugene on Friday and into Saturday morning. Uh, we will get a visit from Reese Davis of College uh, ESPN's college game day later this week. He'll be joining us uh, to talk about game day and what that means. Uh, I have put a uh, a text out to Chip Kelly. Uh, Chip Kelly uh, went public, said Oregon's pretty good. Uh, I, I wonder how much discussion nationally there will be about Chip Kelly, who I think is playing the ducks for the fourth time since returning to UCLA. Kelly said this on the Jim Rum show. They're good,
2: you know, they're really good on tape. They've obviously um, have been recruiting at a high level for a really long time up there. so um, but this week was more about us from a fundamental standpoint. Though. The nuts and bolts of our game plan and all those other things won't go into Monday because that's what a normal week is for us. So to get out over our skis a little bit, I think would be giving the wrong message to our players. Also, so they knew what we wanted to get accomplished, just the way we've always kind of handled Improvement Week. Um, <clears throat> but we'll get we'll get ready for for Oregon in earnest. There. Some really good Oregon football team,
0: really good Oregon football team, really good UCLA team. Two top ten teams going to Eugene. First time since 2018 that the Pac-12 has matched two top ten teams against each other. That was the Apple Cup in 2018 as number 10 Washington knocked off number 7 Washington State in Pullman for that one. So a big matchup and a little bit of a mess at the top of the conference right now is Oregon and UCLA trying to sort things out this weekend. Utah took care of business against USC. I have some takeaways from that game I want to talk about, but I want you to weigh in as well. What do you see on the field? What do you see when it comes to officiating? What do you see when it comes to the Pac-12 teams uh, that are at the top of this conference? It feels like there are four teams who can conceivably get to Vegas, but there's some others on the outside, including Oregon State. Like if Oregon State wins out, Oregon State's going to Las Vegas. They're playing for a conference championship. I mean, that's the reality for the Beavers and Jonathan Smith. So I think there's a lot of hope out there. There's a lot of interest out there. There's a lot of intrigue out there. And contrary to most years, we have – more than two teams that we really focused on. I think last year it was largely Utah and Oregon all the way, wire to wire. These two teams now, uh, Utah and Oregon, in the mix, joined by UCLA and USC. Watch want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Is the number. Steven, you're in studio. Hey, Steven, is the Pac-12 officiating worse than other places, or is this just what fans do? Um, I think it's worse. To be
4: honest, I think it is worse here in the Pac-12. And, you know, we've seen years upon years of examples of bad Pac-12 officiating. Even, you know, I know USC fans are not upset with, or they are upset with the way uh, they were refereed against Utah, but going back to that last interception, the clocks just stopped when Utah got the ball. That clock should have been at about two or three seconds with Utah, or when USC got the ball back on the penalty. The clock stopped and it just should have kept going, but the refs made a bad play on that. So, like, it goes both ways. And so I do think the refs are really bad in the Pac-12. Um, but I also think that now that the Pac-12 is higher profile, right? You talk about all these teams. There's four teams in the top 15, two top 10 teams going against each other. The games matter that much more. And so there's even more attention being put on these officials.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I think also the official, you know, I was in Salt Lake City. I was at Rice Eccles Stadium, uh, largest crowd in the history of that stadium. For this uh, USC game, I, when I went to pick up my, my media credential at the ticket office, I went over to the ticket office and, uh, you know, I could hear what was going on at the other windows at the ticket office. And there were people who were walking up trying to buy a standing room only ticket. They were selling the standing room only tickets for $150. And they were selling them. And it was interesting to see that. It was interesting to see the atmosphere. I felt like at halftime, like Caleb, Caleb Williams played a really good game. But at halftime of this game, you know, Utah was down seven and getting the ball to open the second half. And I thought, gosh, if they could put together a nice drive to open the second half, they've got USC right where they want them. I mean, they've been totally outplayed and they're down by seven at halftime. And to Utah's credit, they came out in the second half. They had six drives in the second half. They scored touchdowns on five of them on the drive. They didn't score. They drove 75 yards and fumbled the ball in the two-yard line. Like, they moved the ball. Offensively, USC couldn't stop them. And so I think uh, Lincoln Riley needs a defense. I think that he needs a little bit of run game uh, if he wants to get to the playoff. I also think he needs to stop bellyaching about the officiating. You know, he was upset about a couple of targeting calls. There were, you know, there's calls in every game. You know, if it's a judgment call, I don't mind it. What I do mind is when the officials interrupt the flow of the game, and I felt like this was a really good college football game that had you know 90-something points scored in it, and it was flowing along, and then in the second half, there were just some stoppages that just interrupted the flow of the game, and it made it feel like it was more about the officiating. Now, I talked to somebody inside the Pac-12 conference who told me, like, hey, which call do you think they got wrong? And I said, well, I don't necessarily think, like, you know, I'm not going to nitpick, like, did they miss a call here, miss a call there? Because there was probably a holding call that should have been called on USC when Caleb Williams was scrambling in the end zone, would have been a safety. Nobody, they got a no call there. There were a couple of targeting calls that were called on the field. Then they went to review and they, reviewed, they reversed it, said, no, it's not targeting. Um, there was a roughing the passer call that was a judgment call. The officials called it. Like, you know, I think you could go either way on that call. So I'm not necessarily nitpicking the call. But it's just more like the flow of the game. And, you know, when the when the referee kept opening his mic during the game, and this happens at all Pac-12 stadiums, he opened his mic and he started fumbling around with what to say. And I thought to myself, like, do they not train the referee on how to open the mic, how to be decisive, uh, what not to say? Because he literally opened the mic at one point it, during the end of this U- Utah-USC game, and the, the head referee says... You know, there was a timeout called during the play. That's what he said inside the stadium. Everybody in the stadium started booing and jeering and going, what do you mean you can't call a timeout during a play? I turned to Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated who was sitting to my left, and Brian Fisher Fox was sitting to my right. Like, there was a bunch of national media sitting there, and I said, is it worse in this conference? And they both kind of said, you know, there's bad calls everywhere, but the official announcing to the stadium there was a timeout called during the play. It's just ridiculous. You can't call timeout during the play. And Kyle Whittingham after the game was really upset about it, and he said, hey, that could have cost us the game because what the officials did, and I thought that was really interesting because there's like, there's like 23, 24 seconds left when Caleb Williams snaps the ball. He throws an interception. There's going to be a pass interference call in the interception, but the ball's intercepted by Utah, and the defensive back runs for a while. Now, as he's running around, the clock is ticking down. And I'm looking at the clock, and it stops at one point while the player play is still going on. Then somebody must have yelled at the clock operator and said, start the clock back up. What are you doing? So that he starts the clock back up, and it starts to tick down more. Then the official stops the clock, announces the pass interference penalty, and then says, you know, hey, we're going to have to look at the clock because somebody called timeout during the play. And, And so... Everybody in the stadium is jeering at that and laughing at that. And I think part of the problem for the conference, I think it's three-pronged. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. I think think the officials need to say less. Like, to make it simple, say less. Because I think they need to be better and they need to say less. And what I mean by that is when you open the mic and anybody who's ever been in a position of authority, anybody who's ever officiated a, a game, knows that if you are decisive with your call, you will sell that call more easily. You sell it on, you know, you can sell that to the players on the court. You can sell it to the fans if you are decisive with your call. Where you get in trouble is when you start getting wishy-washy with a call or if the crowd can tell you're not sure, but you called it anyway. Like nobody wants to see that. So I think when the Pac-12 officials open the mic, they're not doing a good job of selling the calls that they're making on the field. And him saying somebody called timeout, that's ridiculous. Like don't even open your mic and say that. Just open your mic and go, will the clock operator pr- please reset the clock to 13 seconds? And then shut up. Like nobody needs to hear all that other stuff that is going to undermine the credibility of the crew on the field. And when it when it came to the targeting calls, he did the same thing. He opened the mic and he started to explain why they're going to get a review on this targeting call. Just tell us the call on the field is targeting. We're, we're now checking for a review. The player's under review. That's it. And then be quiet. Stop trying to tell us. Everything that's going on, because when you do that, you could hear in his voice that he was confused, and that there was confusion on the field. And so, I think the Pac-12 officials get in trouble there. I also think they're not trained right. I think David Coleman, the head, the supervisor of officials, he's not qualified to be the supervisor of officials. He's barely officiated college games himself. He, you know, he's a nice human being. He's a former Ar- army colonel. Like that's cool. There's a place for him in the conference, somewhere in the officiating world, make him the head of scheduling or something, but he can't be the supervisor of officials. He's just not qualified. And then the third thing we talked about it uh, uh, quite a few times is they need a they need a uh, pipeline. They need a consortium. They need to get with the Big Sky Conference, get with the Mountain West, and come up with a pipeline so they can properly train the officials. And I, I think that can clean up some of the perception because I think the bigger issue with the Pac-12 officiating is like, is it worse? Is it better? You know, I don't know. Like, I you know, I, on College Football Saturday, I think you could look around and you could see bad calls everywhere. But I think the perception is certainly worse. I think the brand is broken. The brand of Pac-12 officiating is broken. If it were a business, people would not be shopping there; it would be bankrupt. Like you, you have to go in and fix that if you're George Kliavkoff, and, and this dates back to about 2014 when they were having real problems with Woody Dixon and Larry Scott and Tony Carrenti. The supervisor of officials who was well-respected, he quit midseason. It was like October, and he just said, I can't do it anymore because he had Larry Scott and he had Woody Dixon telling him how to officiate games, putting pressure on the officials to help you know, sort of game the system. It was just a bad scenario. So you have a broken brand if you're the Pac-12, and you got to fix it. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about injuries. New study out says head injuries have no effect on your interest in football games. So why do the leagues care so much? We'll talk about it coming up.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: We'll talk about Jonathan Smith in Oregon State. We'll talk about the Ducks. they got a big one coming up against Chip Kelly and UCLA on Saturday college football game day in town all that Lincoln Riley though over the weekend uh saw his perfect record and his perfect season blown up at Utah here was his reaction in the post game
3: yeah obviously uh you know tough tough way to take a loss um I thought our guys really really battled tonight um it was a great environment it was a really fun environment to play in um you know, we we didn't play as clean on all three sides as we wanted to, and it, it came down to it as they made one more play than us, or if we made one more mistake, however you want to look at it. Um, but you can't question the the fight and the, the resolve of this football team. Um, we had to overcome a lot tonight, and uh, we got damn close to doing it. So um, we'll uh, we'll rally. I have. Been in this position a couple of times. I told those guys, kind of have an idea of what it looks like when you uh, can really make a run off of one of these. And this team has the, this team has the, the inner fortitude, the culture, the desire to win, um, the desire to overcome anything that goes your way, even things that are out of your control. Uh, that we got enough of that right now to get it done. We got to improve. We got to get better. And can't wait to go back to work with these guys.
0: Is he talking about officiating there? Is he belly aching about the officiating? Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Let's go out to Mark in Portland to start. Mark, welcome to the conversation.
5: Hey, how you doing? Um, With the officiating, I totally get what you're saying from the administrative side in the Pac-12. Everybody pretty much knows they need to figure out how to improve it because it's embarrassing. But from the player's side and the coach's side, it should not be an excuse. USC has put itself in a position to lose against Oregon State and to lose this last game, and they escaped one of those games. And, you know, Oregon put themselves in a, in a position to lose at Washington State. These were clearly better than they are, but, you know, when you you mistakes combined with bad officiating, it's always going to be on you. Everybody has to play with these officials. And I just love the format of the, of the conference because it's a real – produces a true bill john where whoever wins this conference is a champion and their conference to me is just as deep and tough as the big 10 or the acc with the exception of the sec and you know nobody really knows who the best teams are but the the conference champions in these major division one conferences that all control their own destiny just like the how we do the the who who's going to win the conference? We have a everybody's playing off right now. Oregon has to beat UCLA and Utah at home. We know a duck loss is coming. They're probably going to lose one game here somewhere. They always seem to do that. And once that happens, the whole league could be out. Now with the you know, if Oregon beats UCLA and then uses loses to Utah, we're done. Am I correct yeah. on that?
0: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think too. You know, it's interesting because. You know, I was saving this for the four o'clock hour, but I had a conversation along with John Wilner uh, on the Konzano and Wilner podcast with Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. And to Mark's point, like you know, the SEC knows that the playoff, the four-team playoff, is working for the SEC. Like, make no mistake, a four-team playoff working for the SEC. They've won five of the eight national championships. Like, it's working for them. They have moved to a sixteen-team conference. But it's working. So we, ha- I asked Sankey, like, hey, you know, why expand? If it, if this four-team thing is working for you, why expand? And he pointed to the overall health of college football nationally. Listen here,
6: uh, repeatedly that we don't need expansion of the college football playoff. As an example, we, we don't. Uh, even with the move to sixteen teams, if the college football playoff stayed at four, we'd be fine. Uh, given what's happened since it was implemented uh, through today, uh, uh, we can stay at four with the New year Six model. Uh, that is not the perspective offered by everyone else over time. Um, and, and I think one of the motivating factors from our perspective is the need for football to be relevant on a national basis. That's important for us all.
0: All right, so Sankey basically saying, look, we got to play some teams, and it's not great for the game, it's not great for the sport, for the entire Pacific time zone in the West Coast to not be included in the playoff in most years. Um, and, and to Mark's point, you know, with a four-team playoff, you suddenly, there's some teams who, you know, their season ends or their chance to win a national championship or participate in the playoff ends with a loss or two when maybe it really shouldn't. USC put itself in position on Saturday. To lose this game they did not stop Utah in the second half Utah would have scored in all six drives had they not fumbled inside the five-yard line on that one drive and you can't win a football game doing that so I think Lincoln Riley is trying to say hey they're greater forces hey we weren't happy with the officiating but the truth is they were in a hostile environment Caleb Williams played really well I was really impressed with him in the game but USC's got flaws Utah's got flaws we're going to see Oregon and UCLA on Saturday, and they probably are also going to have some flaws. Let's see who comes out of this and ends up in Vegas. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, welcome to the conversation.
4: Hey, so, you know, I'm a I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan, but I end up watching a lot of college football um, on Saturdays. And, you know, I can say that while there's bad calls everywhere, it's worse in Pac-12 games. And, you know, but you know, the thing that needs to be remembered by Lincoln Riley is both sides have to deal with the bad the bad calls. And,
2: you know, my other comment is about Lincoln Riley, which is, you know, his defensive philosophy is more offense and it's always been that way. So it's not really a surprise that when the other team started scoring,
4: all they had to do was slow down Lincoln Riley's offense a little bit and you know, they put themselves in a the position to win that game. That's always been the way he is, that's always gonna and how many champion national championships does he have out of it?
0: Yeah. That's a good point. And, and look, I, I, I watched USC against Oregon State in person, and now I've seen them against Utah. And the question I come away with was, you know, Oregon State's defensive backs, the experience back there with that group with Alex Austin and Jaden Grant, and uh, it really, really did a nice job on USC's receivers. I think Oregon State's defense is arguably the best defense in the conference. I think USC's offense is the best offense in the conference. Uh, Unfortunately, Oregon State struggles on offense, and USC struggles on defense. Uh, Decide for yourself what's more entertaining. I think you'll take the points in most games, but um, I'm curious to see what happens with an Oregon team that feels pretty balanced to me. Like I think Oregon probably has the second or third best offense in the conference and probably has the second or third best defense in the conference. UCLA probably in that conversation too, but it's interesting that we're going to see UCLA and Oregon play on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Oregon opening as uh, Stephen, are you seeing it at six and a half point favorite or so?
4: I uh, know, yeah, it opened at five and a half. Uh, I believe it got bet up. Yeah, I'll check it right interesting. now.
0: Interesting. I I I think that's a little rich for this game. I think I think this should be more like three and a half, four, like four and a half at most. I'm surprised that I saw it, you know, go above six at any point because i think ucla is really good and chip kelly with an extra week dan landing with an extra week um you know we're gonna have dan landing on thursday's show but i kind of think that's advantage chip kelly i'll give the advantage to the guy that we know is always scheming and the offensive minded guy always scheming against uh, you know dan landing like who get who gets more out of the extra week in your mind steven uh, I'd give it to Chip. You know, Chip is an experienced guy that's been
4: there before and done it before. So I'm with you. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's It's Oregon laying six, and it's juiced towards the Ducks. So it could even go up to six and a half, uh, seven by kickoff if money keeps going in yeah, on the Ducks on that one.
0: That feels rich to me. I, I think it should be more like four and a half. Four, three and a half, something like that. I think UCLA is very good. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson quarterback, really interesting. But we'll see what happens this week. we got big guests coming down the pipeline. I texted with Chip this morning trying to get him on the show, landing for sure on Thursday, Jonathan Smith on Wednesday. we got big guests for you. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about the injuries in football. Uh, the injuries seem to bother the players. The injuries bother the leagues. The injuries bother us when we talk about it. But uh, a recent poll said that injuries do not keep fans from watching football games. What do I make of that? What do you make of that? We'll talk about it next.
1: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I think Oregon State's getting a raw deal. I don't know if they're they're getting a raw deal from you, but I think they're getting a raw deal in general. Uh, Nice win for Oregon State over the weekend. They beat Washington State, beat them handily. 24-10 was the final. Uh, Oregon State not getting great offense, but I thought quarterback Ben Goldbergson managed the game well. Um, it was a uh, Dilfer-like, uh, Joe Flacco-like performance, I thought, for Goulburnson, if I can draw a metaphor there or a comparison. But I think the defense at Oregon State is just flat playing. And I uh, was really impressed with that. I also think if you are a, uh, an Oregon State fan, that you're looking at the schedule coming up. It's Colorado visiting Racer Stadium this weekend then you have Cal, then you have Arizona State, you have Washington in there, and then it is the game formerly known as the Civil War. And I think Oregon State gets, gets a knock. Like, I think Oregon State, a lot of people look at Oregon State, they look at the Stanford win, they say lucky. They look at the win against uh, Washington State, and they go, oh, they won ugly. Um, I don't know what to do with that, because I think there's a little bit of a myth in there. And I'll be honest with you, it was Saturday night, I was in... Salt Lake City, and I'm watching USC and Utah. Got the Oregon State Washington State game on next to me as I'm watching the Utah USC game in person. And I kept going, you know, gosh, look at the defense! Wow, great plays! Like, this is to do that to Cam Ward and the Washington State offense that has scored points this season was pretty impressive. Um, I left Rice Eccles Stadium at about midnight on Saturday night. Went back to my hotel started watching the film again of Oregon State-Washington State, and I said, you know what? No one's going to give these guys the credit they deserve. And you know what? I I think I need to say this. Like, they didn't get great quarterback play. They weren't statistically dominant. But if you look at Oregon State and you you give them, like, a fair shake, you see a team that dropped no passes, committed only two penalties, sacked Cam Ward, Washington State's quarterback, six times, had 10 pass breakups, had seven other quarterback hurries. Like, you can sit around and go, oh, the quarterback play wasn't there, and, you know, they didn't have a big-time receiving, you know, thing, and, you know, they uh, they punted five times in the game. And, yeah, of course, the quarterback could be more efficient. Yes, they could get a game-breaking receiver, but you know what I see when I see Oregon State out there? I see a team that won't quit. And because of that, they're sitting now at 5-2, and two, Colorado at home, at Washington, home against Cal, at Arizona State. I I see somewhere between two and four wins in there. And, it you know, this is an Oregon State team that could be sitting at, you know, six, seven, eight. Could be sitting at eight or nine, eight and three, nine and two, going to the rivalry game with Oregon on November 26th. Like, it's not inconceivable that they'll beat Colorado at home and they'll beat Cal at home. That's seven wins. Can they win at Arizona State? Can they win at Washington? Maybe they split them, so there's eight. Maybe they lose them both. They're still at seven. Maybe they win them both. They're at nine. But I I think what I'm saying is, look, the bookmakers at the beginning of this season put Oregon State at five and a half, their win total for the season. They're going to eclipse that. And even though this is a quarterback-centric game in college football, the defense at Oregon State is flat playing. And you got Damian Martinez at running back who, for two weeks in a row, has pulled in a run of more than 40 yards. So he had a 43-yard run against Stanford. He had a 50-yard run against Washington State. Look out. If they get the run game going, and if Gulbrunsen becomes a little more than a game manager or Chance Nolan comes back from what we all think is a concussion, if they can get a little better quarterback play, if they can get a running game that is a little more established – I do think that Silas Bolden, Sean Harrison, Anthony Gold can hurt defenses, and I, I'm looking at this team, and I'm looking and going, they're very experienced. Um, they uh, channel Jonathan Smith's sort of even-keeled demeanor, and I really like a lot of what I'm seeing from Oregon State. That said, like, the people who are out there, and I keep hearing from them, oh, they were lucky, oh, this is that, Washington State didn't play well. It's nonsense, you know? Winners win because they do. You're sitting at 5 and 2 and you're an Oregon State fan, you got to feel really good about that. Meanwhile, this is a big week, right? Because it's Oregon State needing to take care of business at home against Colorado. It's a very winnable game. And you got USC, uh, excuse me, UCLA and Oregon playing at Autzen Stadium. Very winnable game, uh, huge spotlight on our state and, you know, combined records of the two teams playing in the state of Oregon. Guess what? Between them they have 3 losses. Uh, that's pretty damn good. It's a pretty fun college football season when you put it in that context. That said, now, I want to pivot to injuries. I mentioned this earlier, but I saw a study that pointed out that injuries in sports, in football in particular, really important, right? Really important part of the game. Everybody knows that we're seeing corrections on the field when it comes to roughing the passer or whatnot, but... um, as we look at sort of, you know, the landscape of the NFL and college football, um, there was a study done and they said a, a clear majority of fans say that injuries, head injuries in particular, have not, no effect on their interest in the sport, right? Clear majority of fans are going, we don't really care about this stuff. Just shut up and play. We just want to see the games. Does this bother anybody? Um, By the way, three in in five sports fans, 65%, said football is at least somewhat unsafe. It's the most dangerous sport among the options that were included in the survey. And by the way, last season, the NFL had 187 player concussions. Um, You go back to 2015, they had 275 concussions. But, you know, avid fans... Said, you know, it, it doesn't really bother them. Like, you know, it viewership remains strong. Interest in the game remains strong. What do you make of this, Stephen, that, you know, the teams seem interested in this, but ad, avid fans, when it comes to head injuries, don't seem to be that tuned in and care. They kind of think the teams will figure it out. The league will figure it out. Just shut up and play. I want to watch my football.
4: Yeah, it's a tough spot because I agree that, Football is unbelievably dangerous to play. Like I watch those guys play and I'm thinking, how are they not getting hurt on every single play? They are flying around and just using their bodies as a weapon and hitting the other players. But having said that, you know, I love to watch football. And I like you know, I like to bet on football. I like to, you know, be a part of it. Now I have a kid growing up who's seven or uh who's eight actually now, and I don't know that I would want him to play football. And that's just just a feeling that I have. Like, I know the I know, even if he would like it, like it is very dangerous. So, I, I understand all of it, John. I don't know what to make of it because I'm kind of one of those people. I think that you know I understand the the things that can happen that can go wrong in football, but I also like to watch it and I like to pay attention to it and you know digest it. So I think I'm one of those people, and uh, it makes me doesn't make me feel great about myself that I, you know I don't necessarily. It's not that I don't care about the players. But at the same time, like this is kind of what football is. It's just one of those sports that people are going to get hurt, and it's going to happen.
0: I think uh, there's a lot of concern out there from the teams and the leagues. Uh, I also think if you're a uh, fan of the Pac-12, uh, you watched the games over the weekend. Colorado, Cal. I saw a couple of plays like this. Certainly saw it in the Utah um, uh, USC game. I saw the officials calling roughing the passer and targeting with a little more alacrity, a little more tuned into it, a little more focused on it. I think it's a byproduct of what we're seeing in the NFL. I think the trickle-down is coming down to the college game. I think we saw it last weekend. But, um, you know, I was watching. You know, I thought it was a great college football weekend. Like, Alabama-Tennessee was fantastic. That Michigan game had a lot of high stakes on it. And and then, of course, the Pac-12 games were also really compelling and interesting. Like, I, I I, feel like we're in the sweet spot of the football season, at least the college football season. And, um, you know, it may prove true that the Pac-12 doesn't get to the playoff this year. I kind of think there's going to be some cannibalization. Like, unless UCLA wins at Autzen Stadium on Saturday, I think there's a real mess for the Pac-12 that is forming because I think Utah could go to Autzen Stadium and win. I think, um, you know, Oregon could lose to Oregon State. Who knows? Uh, yeah, and meanwhile, I think U- USCLA and USC will play each other uh, towards the end of the season. So somebody there is going to get another loss. Um, I think at the Pac-12 headquarters, I could hear them kind of going, you know what, um, I think we, uh, I think we need to get from nine conference games to eight in a hurry. Like that would really help things. Let's take some phone calls. 503-417-7575 is a number. I'll take your phone calls. You want to weigh in on the officiating of the Pac-12. You want to weigh in on Oregon's chances of getting to the championship game and the conference play, Oregon State as well. Um, you tell me. you got the Bald Face Truth statewide, our big splash, coming up as well.
1: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: The wind was a howling after the Utah USC game on Saturday night. Stephen, I, can I tell you a story about the wind? Yeah, please do. Okay, so i uh, i had uh, I had just bought this new button up shirt that was short sleeve that I could wear without a sport coat, and I thought, "Oh, I'm going to pack it for this game because it's going to be like a 68 degrees at kickoff. I'll wear it. You know, it'll be fine." But I also brought a sweatshirt and a T-shirt because I thought, you know, after the game, if it's cold and I'm waiting for an Uber, I can maybe I can throw on the sweatshirt and the T-shirt, and I threw it in my bag. So after the game, I'm leaving the stadium, and I walk out, and it's howling. Like, the winds were—I couldn't believe the winds. It's like 35-mile-an-hour winds outside the stadium. So bad that I, I really couldn't stand, like, on the sidewalk outside the stadium. Like, it, it was just howling. So I, I found one of those bus stop shelters that kind of block the wind, sort of, but not really. Like, they're smart enough when they, when they uh, construct those to know that people would sleep in them if they made them airtight. So they, there was, like, holes in it, but it was enough to kind of minimize just the, the wind. I couldn't believe the sound of the wind. And if you've ever been in high winds, you know it's just, like, shh, all around you. You know, it was whistling at you. It was coming off the stadium, through the canyon, uh, over the mountains, coming off the stadium. It was just whipping. And I thought to myself, I better change into my T-shirt and sweatshirt. I'm cold. I was freezing. It was late. It was like midnight. I'm waiting for an Uber. It's like 15 minutes away. So I uh, set down my stuff inside the kiosk. And this is how windy it was. Even inside the kiosk, when I set down my phone and my bag on the bench, they moved. Like, they kind of moved. I had to readjust them. But I open my bag, I take out my t-shirt and my sweatshirt and I start to change. So for a moment, like there's no one around, it's like midnight outside a football stadium, game's ended hours ago. I I take my shirt off and I'm trying to get into the t-shirt and the sweatshirt and all of a sudden a gust of wind blows the button-up shirt out of my hand. Just and it's one of those scenarios if you ever dropped like a piece of paper, a $5 bill, Um, you know, something falls out of your car and the wind catches it. You know how you're trying to run after it and you just quite can't quite get it because every time you reach for it, it blows five more feet away. And then you look like an idiot as you're going through the parking lot. My shirt was in the middle of the street and it was gone. Like I was chasing it shirtless and I'm (laughs) I'm running, trying to get my shirt. And I finally, with my foot just went, I did, I pulled that move where you just kind of put your foot down and you you stomp on it because you can't, you're not going to get it. I'm going to end up like three blocks away. My bag's back at the bus stop, you know? So I did that. I got a giant footprint in the middle of the shirt, but then I walked back and I changed and I was just laughing. I was just smiling and laughing because it, it was so ridiculous. And Oh, also, you know, I don't really have a real job. I I, I watch college football games. I watch sporting events. I write about them. I talk about it on radio. It's not a normal job, but I'm just shaking my head going, if people could see me right now, shirtless outside Rice Eccles Stadium in 35-mile-an-hour winds, chasing my shirt down the street, they would have laughed at me.
4: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like... For how bad you think it looked, it looked twice as bad. I know. Right? I like, just, you're just glad that no one else saw you. It was like, you caught you
0: on camera. Oh, my gosh. That's we, the other like, thing. I was looking around going, is there any cameras around here? Like, is <laughs> somebody going to put this on, on the internet?
4: But I knew exactly what you're talking about because if you try to bend over and, like, pick it up with your hand, it's, no. it's too late at that point. You have to use your foot and stomp hard. It's like a motion of walking and stomping at the same time.
0: I had a bunch of equipment with me, I had my laptop, I had my bag and everything, and I was like, I can't get too far away from the bus stop, because I, I'm going to chase my shirt and lose my laptop in the process. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Bill's in Portland. Bill, welcome to the conversation.
7: Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to weigh in on the concussion thing. Like, look, I mean, was the NFL dishonest about what they do and the damage that can be done to players? Absolutely. Have they at least tried to take steps to make the game more safe? I think we can all say the answer is yes. I and mean, if you talk to players and they look at the old helmets versus what they're, now, yeah. what they're wearing now, it's, it's not even close, okay? But all the people that weigh in on this stuff, they're not even football fans. Most of the people that have something to say are people that aren't going to watch anyway, right? It's the same thing with people who are like, hey, I wish they didn't fight in hockey so much. You're not going to watch hockey anyway. If they stop fighting, are you suddenly going to start watching? No. So it's like every time there's some bad situations that happen in the NFL, and it's unfortunate. Nobody wants the team to get hurt. I think there's this perception that like a lot of football fans are just meatheads. We all just like oh we want to see big hits. I mean if we all we all grew up on watching these these films where you get films where it was like let's see the biggest hits. Yeah. And guys are just killed over the middle, right? And you know that culture needs to go away. I get that. But the idea that, like, most football fans want to see, like, huge hits and want to see people get hurt is absolutely ridiculous. And the idea that, like, we're not going to watch anyway is also ridiculous. The people that care about that, they're not going to watch football anyway. So they're irrelevant to me. The real football fans are going to keep watching regardless. We've made our peace with it. You know, I call it the war on football. Like, everybody that's not a real football fan wants to talk about how dangerous it is. I get it if you have kids. You don't want your kids to play football. Don't let them play football. Like that's totally understandable. But it's a lot of people that don't actually give a crap about football that try to weigh in and say it's unsafe. They shouldn't be able to do this. You shouldn't be able to do that. Like we're gonna watch the game regardless.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right on that. I always look at when I look at a survey and I look at a story. I always try to think like, okay, where's the fallacy in this thing? And it very, may very well be that. Diehard football fans who watch football are going to be less inclined to say, I'm going to stop watching football because if the violence bothered them, they would have stopped watching football. So, you know, when you ask people, hey, you're a diehard football fan, you know, does the violence make you want to stop watching football? They've already made their minds up. Uh, and, and I do go back to parents. Like, look, I had a, my dad, when I was a kid, I wanted to play like Pop Warner football. When I was like fifth grade, sixth grade, whatnot, I had friends who were playing. My dad said, I don't want you to play that young. And he, he said, you can play flag football. And I wasn't allowed to play football till I got to high school. And it bothered me because my freshman year, like, the, the equipment, the helmet, the shoulder pads, like, I didn't know where the thigh pads or the knee pads went. Like, and I had kids around me who had all played a little bit. It took me about a year to catch up. But once I did, um, I looked around and I was grateful that I hadn't played at a younger age, in part because a lot of the guys that had played had some injuries, had some overuse injuries, had some knee injuries, had some things going on with them that – I didn't have at the time. So, um, you know, I know my parents were trying to take care of me, but I think they were making kind of a measured risk, like, you know, what's the acceptable risk? But I don't blame parents out there who say, I don't want my kids to play. And I also don't blame parents who say, I allow my kids to play, but here are the safety measures that we take in our household. Let's go to Gary in Tualatin. He wants to talk about Oregon and UCLA. Gary, what's up, man?
7: Hey, John. How you doing? Good, Doug. Doing well. Yeah, the Pac-12 refs are the worst in the in the nation. Those two uh, pass, uh, those two roughing the, the passer calls were horrendous. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, UCLA is going to have a hard time winning in uh, in Austin. Um, I don't think Chip or anybody realizes how much uh, the Ducks hate UCLA. the The, the team is just. It's not as bad as USC, but uh, Bill Walton will tell you how much we hate UCLA. They just, um, you know, they're from LA. They get all the press, and they're just usually soft. Uh, this is the best team we ever had, I think. And uh, they're they're going to run into a buzzsaw when they go down there. It's 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 going to be a great game, but uh, as long as there's time on the clock, uh, we're we're going to pull it out.
0: All right, Gary Antualton calling a shot. I think it's going to be a really good game, and I think UCLA is really good. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson, at quarterback, he's a handful, and the fact that he's a fifth-year senior, he's not making the mistakes that he made in year two and year three. He is much improved. Zach Charbonneau, the running back, is a dangerous back, probably better than anything Oregon's got in the backfield. So UCLA's got some guys on that team that can hurt you with a 50-plus yard play just in the same way that USC's got some guys. I think in the in, in USC's first 12 plays of the game, there were like five plays that were 18 yards or more. I tweeted about it during the game. I couldn't believe the chunks they were getting against Utah. And it was, you know, Caleb Williams is dangerous. He had like a 55-yard run as, as a quarterback. Dorian Thompson-Robinson and UCLA are the same way. It's going to be a hell of a game. Hell of a mashup to see Dan Lanning's defense against Chip Kelly's offense with the extra week.
4: Hey John, do you think? Do you think whoever wins this game is the front runner to win the Pac-12?
0: I think they're the whoever wins this game, I think we're penciling them into Las Vegas. Yeah, and I think those two spots are going to be really tough. Like I, I tried to look during the game. I was trying to look at uh, the games on Saturday. I was trying to figure out tiebreakers. It's too early. There's there's five or six teams that have a legit shot at it, and it's too complicated because they're all playing each other. So I think it'll you know I think it's gonna become more clear after Saturday. Either UCLA or Oregon is gonna have the inside track to Vegas, and then I think two more weeks from now we will you know start to see that form. But it's the most Pac-12 thing ever. Utah beats USC. What if Oregon beats UCLA? What if Utah then beats Oregon? And what if uh, USC then beats UCLA? In that rivalry game, like you, are gonna be sitting there going, "What's the tiebreaker? How do, how do, we, who do we determine gets to go?" I mean, I think it's gonna be really interesting uh, to see who gets to Vegas, and then, uh, you know, on that December second, Friday, December second is the championship game, and then, are those candidates good enough? Is there a one-loss team there, or an undefeated UCLA team that is a good enough candidate to get into the playoff? Mike's in Centralia. Wants to talk about the Beavers. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Hey, John, you stole a little bit of my thunder there. I think uh, it kind of goes with the point I was going to make. The first point I was going to make is teams like Oregon State and Wazoo aren't going to get the respect as far as ranking goes. Wazoo should have been ranked after they beat Wisconsin, and then they played a hell of a game against Oregon. And then Oregon State, Johnson Smith's doing a hell of a job down there like goals, but they're just, you know, they're out there and they're never going to get the respect, which is a shame because – it just breaks my heart that USC and Israel are leaving, and the reason why I bring that into the conversation well is there's a lot of good football being played in the Pac-12. Yeah.
0: And yeah. you put up yeah. the
2: point right there. you got the Oregon-UCLA uh, game. All right. Hey, I and
0: want you going going to, to hold that time thought. thought. I want you to hold that thought. I'm going to bring you on right after the break. We're going to run out of time here. Mike and Centralia is going to finish his thought. I can't wait to see what he's going to say. Leave it right here.
1: B F from the pack west center in downtown portland presented by high caliber millwrights here's john canzano with the bald-faced truth
0: i have a bad habit of putting a caller on the air with like 60 seconds to go before the commercial break mike in centralia was winding towards a point that he wanted to make go ahead mike finish that last thought where were you headed
2: yeah, well, where I was headed is it's kind of like, so you got UCLA and Oregon playing this weekend, which is going to be a great game. And the Pac-12 beats up on each other. And it's just a shame that these other schools are pulling out. I, I understand you got to pay the bills, just like you had to throw me to break. you got to pay the bills. And I understand these universities are going after the money, but, you know, there's so much tradition in the Pac-12. And, you know, the past couple years, um, and I could say this, I'm a, a Washington slash Wazoo fan because I've sent – each kid to a university there so I can kind of put a little sense in, since I put a lot of money into each institution. But Washington hasn't held up their end the past 10, 15 years. But now we got some great coaches in the Pac-12, and we're gaining some momentum. And not enough of the country sees it, and it's just a shame that the money is uh, is taken over the tradition. So uh, anyway, hope for a great game this weekend because it helps the Pac-12, and uh, go Cougs.
0: Yeah, there you go, uh, Mike and I uh, Look, I I think one of the things is I think it was disappointing early in the year that some other programs seem to be getting the benefit of the doubt, while Washington State and Oregon State were not. That said, Washington State and Oregon State then went out and lost football games, and so I think if you're Washington State and Oregon State, you know you got to go into these games with the with the you know, earn respect, respect is earned mantra, I guess. And then you start approaching these games as if, you know, you, you know, Oregon State's got to beat Colorado. Oregon State has to beat Cal. We would all say that Oregon State's better than Colorado and Cal. But last season, Oregon State lost those two games. So, and they were sitting on the cusp of bowl eligibility when they lost those games last season. So, You know, I think Oregon State. Oregon State's never asked anybody for anything, right? You know, under Jonathan Smith, they haven't. They don't ask anybody for anything. They earn what they get, and I thought they earned something in the last two weeks. I think they earned the benefit of the doubt. I think they earned two wins. I think they have earned their way into a five and two record, and they're sitting pretty when it comes to the possibility of them getting themselves into. Uh, you know, uh, contention for a, confer- a birth to the conference championship game. And so, um, you know, nobody's talking about him at this point. And I think they probably prefer to have it that way. Stay focused on the, the task at hand. The task at hand also relates to Greg Sankey and the SEC. Wilner and I did an interview with the SEC commissioner that posted on the Konzano and Wilner podcast today. I want to play a little chunk from that. Greg Sankey the SEC commissioner um, was talking about the playoff expansion. He says at one point in this clip that they don't need expansion in the SEC. But I pressed him a little further and Wilner pressed him as well. I want you to hear this. Just a chunk and then I want to talk about it. This is Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner on the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. If you haven't heard their whole interview, you can wherever you get a podcast, you can search for Kanzano and Wilner and you can find it. But here's Greg Sankey talking about sort of the landscape of the playoff and what role it plays in the ecosystem. I'm interested in the ecosystem of college athletics and you know in business I don't think you know McDonald's cares if Burger King survives or not but in the college football world or in the college athletics world you know I I think the the health of the ecosystem should be important to to all conferences why, why is that important, or is that important as you view the SEC and your mission within the conference, but when you look at the broader picture across the country?
6: Obviously, we want to be uh, successful in, in every sport we sponsor, um, and, and that's about us. But you also have to have uh, colleagues involved in that nationally competitive effort. And I've referenced... Uh, repeatedly that we don't need expansion of the college football playoff, as an example. We, we don't. Uh, even with the move to 16 teams, if the college football playoff stayed at four, we'd be fine, uh, given what's happened since it was implemented uh, through today. Uh, uh, we can stay at four with the New year Six model. Uh, that is not the perspective offered by everyone else over time. Um, and, and I think one of the motivating factors from our perspective is the need for football to be relevant on a national basis. That's important for us all. It's about opportunities at, at the high school level. It's about uh, a college going culture, if you will, around uh, high school programs, seeking to provide opportunities for young people to continue to grow, to, to transition from adolescence to adulthood on a college campus. Um, and we've not had, you know, a, a national perspective in the college football playoff for a period of time. Or you could argue uh, over the last eight years, it's it's been minimized. And, and so I, I look at it, I think we've been able to have conversations with some disagreement in our conference, but have coalesced around the recognition that we need national competition. And there are a lot of layers to that conversation, but that's, uh, I hope, a representative answer uh, about the need, uh, for more than, than just the Southeastern Conference, for example.
4: Was that a big push, a big part of the push
7: for you all to kind of restart the expansion discussion here or the
4: playoff?
6: That restart did not come from us. You know, I left um, the January meetings in Indianapolis, and I was very open with my colleagues to say, you know, we're stopping and we're going to put this aside and we'll come back for the 26th season. And, and before we, we walked away, uh, I was intentional about making that statement. Um, and obviously things changed over the summer. Uh, people have asked me, well, what happened? I said, well, my perspectives never really changed. Um, so you, you can't. I can't answer why others decided to change. I can guess, project, surmise. Uh, they have to speak to why their their perspectives change. Um, I think part of the challenge right now is rather than have used the past 12 months or really 16 months to improve upon a, a recommendation, that recommendation was static, and now we're in, in a hurry-up offense, if you will. Uh, trying to move to uh, a finish line around the ability to implement a 12-team format earlier than the 26 season.
0: What do you think that's done to the expansion realignment? Uh, you know, all the chaos that we saw with UCLA, USC uh, this summer. What do you think it's done to the landscape? The 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 presidents and chancellors sort of saying, "Look, uh, we're going to expand this playoff." Is there been a byproduct that you see out there?
6: Wow, that's an interesting question. Um I I've had people tell me uh from other conferences that this expansion can be a stabilizing factor for their, their organization. Uh whether that's true or not, I'm, I'm not exactly certain. Uh but if it is, um, and, and again others have spoken to that, uh then that is one of the the, the side benefits from expansion. Now I also know a lot about conference membership transition over the last three or four decades, having been in the room or, or right beside the room where things were happening. And uh, I don't know that one particular change like a college football playoff provides assurance that there won't be future movement. So I'm, I'm a little bit cautious about that piece, but recognize what others have said to me about the expansion of the, the college football playoff.
0: Were you surprised with the USC-UCLA move, given the geography, or is is this just, uh, you know, the, the cost of doing business in today's college athletics world, you know, geography aside?
6: Yeah, yes and no. Um, yes and no. I had, uh, I, I go back to 2015 when I first started as the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, and in my first president's meeting, I was kind of uh, identifying, you know, TV markets, transitions, Around media, uh, and, and I just made some statements about when when, when Granoff rights reach their expiration date, uh, the likelihood of conference membership transition is real, and we have to begin thinking about that reality from the southeastern conference perspective. And uh, you saw movement uh, involving us in in 2021, um, and and had I thought about West Coast movement. Um, absolutely. Had I thought about it in the context of the Southeastern Conference? No. Uh, so, but the fact that happened, uh, as it did when it did, yeah, I, I did not know that one was coming. In fact, it was right before July 4th weekend. And after the last few years of our own expansion and COVID the year before, I went to a place beside a lake thinking I wouldn't have to look at my phone for five days and I could just read books. (laughs) Obviously failed at it predicting that reality so it it it, it occupied the in entirety of my july trying to understand what was happening but i mean there's a yes and no embedded in my observation
0: look what i hear from greg sankey in that snippet and again if you want the full interview uh search for kanzano and Wilner the podcast we uh, dropped about a 50 minute episode uh with interviewing uh sankey there the sec commissioner variety of topics, fascinating stuff, but in the end, I'm left feeling better about the ecosystem of college athletics because I'm hearing somebody who is in the SEC uh, at the top of the food chain saying, hey, it has to be about more than us. We've got colleagues that we've got to play in these games. Um, he he did point to kind of the stabilization of college athletics in general and the college football playoff, the role it can play in that, and I think I think there is you know, obviously he's hearing from people in other conferences. I suspect he's hearing from people in the Pac-12 conference when he says that who are saying, look, there is a, uh, there is a real reason here that you need to expand beyond four teams while the SEC has benefited largely from, from monopolizing the playoff. Five championships in eight years. Clemson has two. Ohio State has one. That's it. That's, that's your college football national championship picture in the last eight seasons. It's the SEC or Clemson or maybe Ohio State. So um, I I think what he is saying there is largely encouraging because it tells me that um, while the SEC could act like the Big Ten and just be like, hey, we got to get ours, um, they're looking at a broader picture and they're going, hey, this gives us an opportunity to maybe get some more teams into the playoff, but it also – ropes in the Pacific time zone, which has not participated mostly in this playoff. Oregon made the championship game in the very first year, eight years ago. Washington made it six years ago, made it to a semifinal. That's it. Pac-12 has not factored. Everybody else has been east of the Rockies uh, as they participate. So I think that's encouraging. He did, though, go on to say later in the interview that he supports an expansion of the NCAA basketball tournament. Steven. How does that strike you adding another 12 teams, another 18 teams, another 16 teams to the NCAA tournament? Do you support that? Ah, uh, yeah, I support
4: it. I mean, I think it I think it'd be good just to get more teams in. Mean, we've seen the first four. Um, I think it's worked pretty well to get the first four in there to have those, you know, uh showcase games kind of kicking off the NCAA tournament. I think they need to try to leave like the actual 64 team bracket together so if they can do some type of like opening round and then have still the 64 teams, the one through 16 seeds. I think that's the way to go because that's what everyone associates with college basketball is that one to 16 seeds. So I think if they can do that and somehow implement extra teams, I'm all for it.
0: I also he he brought up the point that you know Ole Miss was the last team in the college baseball playoffs, right? The NCAA postseason for baseball. They go on to win the national championship. Oregon State fans may remember that Oregon State did the same thing as the last team into the tournament. They ended up going to Omaha and winning it, and and it was largely satisfying. And Sankey raised the point. He said, "Okay, if the last team in can become the national champion in baseball, then you know what about the what about the the first team that was out? Like, how good were they? Like, how why do you need to cast the net? Do you believe that?" There is a team that is sitting, you know, the 69th, 70th, 72nd, 75th best team in America. Do they have a shot, Stephen, realistically, of winning the whole thing? Like, is his argument, you know, it, does it hold up in, in basketball that you need to cast the net wider and include more teams? Uh, no,
4: I don't think so. I, you know, in basketball, we've seen teams that are double digits get to the Final Four, but then they run into, you know, the elite teams. Even last year, North Carolina, Uh, They were eight or nine seed. They got to the national championship game. They ended up losing, but that's one of the more talented teams of the nation. I think basketball and football is a different story when it comes to those things. Baseball, you know, you can get hot as a pitcher and you can just shut down a team for one game. And we've seen that in baseball. You know, you see in spring training, there'll be college teams that be professional teams. Like, I think it's a little different between sports where basketball and football, I think when you put those lesser teams in, they don't really stand a chance.
7: Yeah,
0: and I think I think football is a different sport than baseball. Baseball, again, we've talked about why it is in baseball that the wild cards go to the World Series and win it all, and nobody's surprised by it. It's because those teams are playing great baseball at the end of the year. That's why they're wild cards, and maybe they weren't playing great ball at the end at the beginning of the year. And you know, obviously, in the World Series, we watch you know the Dodgers and the Yankees and some others. uh, You know, the teams that have the best records don't always win. And in football, the team with the best record usually does win. And in basketball, you know, we get a North Carolina situation where, you know, a team just puts it together at the end of the year. That happens. I I guess what Greg Sankey's trying to do is I think he's trying to expand the NCAA tournament because he knows his conference is expanding to 16 and he wants to get – more of those teams into the postseason collect more of that revenue advocate for his teams and I get it and he doesn't have the same problem with a expanding basketball tournament that he has with an expanding football tournament I think you know the teams that are at the top of the food chain are, are in football are still going to get in the SEC is going to dominate the college football playoff unless something dramatically changes uh you know in one of the other conferences so you know, the Big Ten infusing a bunch of money may narrow that gap, but I still think there's a recruiting advantage with the recruiting hotbed that is the, you know, southwest uh, southwestern part of the state, that or the country that happens to be SEC country. I want you to leave it here. Anna's popping into the studio. So much more to talk about, including Charles Barkley, $100 million for Chuck. Is he worth it? We'll talk about it.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Well, Anna has popped into the studio. Sean is on the phones today. Got our uh, our special delivery. He got his Halloween costume over the weekend. Did you see him on Twitter? I absolutely
8: did. I think he's going to be thriving on Halloween <laughs> once again. Steven, is he going
4: to be thriving? Thriving for sure. For sure. Uh, what are you eating, man? What's going on over there? <laughs> yeah, i just put a cracker in my mouth. I thought you were going to talk to Sean. Are you working on
8: the Guinness world record for number of saltine crackers I, I am. in one minute? Yeah,
4: for Sean. I heard you say Sean, so I was like, I could pop a cracker in. <laughs> I
0: love it. Um, Sean, what'd you Snack think? Time. All right, first let's set it up. Sean, when you when you were on air and you said, Hey, I would thrive on Halloween, mm-hmm. all that stuff, I originally had ordered you a USC Trojan uniform. Yep. Yeah which would have been awesome. I was
9: rooting for the Trojans on Saturday, by the way.
0: Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um, What would you think of the game?
9: Oh, it was a great game. That was, man, just between Alabama and Tennessee and then USC, UCLA, just those were awesome games. And then NFL came around the next day, and I was I was less interested. College football is kind of winning me over in comparison to the NFL this season. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, college football winning right now. Um, But give me an idea. Okay, so the package shows up. Take us through kind of, your progression of, or, you know, you get the package and then as you uh, open it and you figure out what it is, take our listeners. Did through. you have a guess of what it was going to be?
9: No. You think I had a guess that it was going to be a crocodile? No, I uh, I got back from work on Friday night. It was a little bit of a weird night, but I got back and um, I you know I see this huge package on my counter and I open it up and it's sure enough it's a crocodile. And I was just kind of sitting there and I was like crocodile, what does that have to do with anything? And I I think my theory is that you guys just got me the weirdest, most quirky thing possible. Is that right?
0: No, I just I looked through and I thought, what grown man? would what would the, a grown man look at that's on here on this website and go I wouldn't wear that. And so I picked the costume <laughs> I would it. I would least want to wear because you're all in on Halloween. You're I'm just one in. of these people who gets, you know, you get after it.
9: That's right. That's right. And I'm going to I, I put it on right away. I, I texted you a photo. You say put it on, then I I texted you another photo <laughs> with me having it on and I'm certainly going to be wearing it. So uh yeah, you can look forward to maybe more Twitter content, more text messages, because that won't be the last time I put on that outfit for years to come. Really, I like that. He's gonna get years of use out of that. Anna. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thank you.
8: For the record, John did that all on his own. I really had no <laughs> input. I don't know if that helps. But me he was or supposed to me.
0: get. He's such a USC honk. He was supposed to get this Trojan outfit. It had a shield and a sword, and it had that hat that had. I don't know what that thing's called on the top of the yeah. Trojan helmet. Yeah. Had that feathery, that, that feathery thing. thing on the top. Yeah. And I would have been like, dun, 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 Like, you know, but <laughs> I thought.
9: The peace sign, the fight yeah. on.
0: And he's got to be shirtless when he wears it, you know? <laughs> how, how
9: can I be a USC honk and an Oregon honk? I know. How does it make that sense? That wouldn't
0: go over so well if, if you go to
8: these parties that I'm sure you'll be attending. So <laughs> how, will that, will the croc suit help you
9: get girls? Well, what if I don't need girls? What if there I have one? Go. There you mm-hmm. go. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Oh, whoa. hold on. Whoa. Is there, Update. Is there some news? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Where's the
8: breaking news stinger?
4: Yeah, yeah. Steven's known about it. Yeah. Well. I've known about it, but Sean's swarming the secrecy. I was going to bring yeah. it up on the show one time, but he's like, no, don't do it.
0: Okay, but how does she feel? Like, I, I almost feel Get like. Get her on the show. I, how does she feel about us talking about, like, you know, talking about her like she doesn't exist, essentially? I What do you mean? Like, we don't talk about her. Like yeah. We're talking about it right now. No, no, but it's a public we, life, you know. But for, yeah, I mean, it's like, it, for a while we were just talking about him like he's on Tinder and stuff. Yeah, and then, yeah,
9: yeah. That that you guys have been mentioning that, and then Steve and I were kind of eyeing each other, like, ah, I'm not really on Tinder. Not oh. really on Tinder, but yeah, this is the first time where I kind of, oh, and it's funny because I'm not even supposed to be talking on it anymore, anymore you know. We got my send-off yeah. on Friday, and here we are talking.
0: Yeah, yeah. but you're not yeah. supposed to talk about sports.
9: That's right, that's yeah. right.
0: Uh, Should we just tell people why you're not supposed to talk about sports? Is that okay?
9: Yeah. I mean, in sports media, when you work in communications, which is my new job with the Blazers, like PR and, you know, speaking on air doesn't really go hand in hand. Right. So, uh, you know, no one, you won't see any PR people speaking on live air. It's just kind of a conflict of interest. So that's why.
0: So he is not supposed to be talking about (laughs) sports on air and he's on a sports radio talk show and so what we decided what the compromise was on friday we kind of sent him sent him on his way yeah and then we were like he is
8: again i was surprised to hear him
0: he's like uh he's back he's like uh kramer just showing back up for the work the next (laughs) day
9: can't get me out of (laughs) here
0: He doesn't even work here, so we can't fire him. I'm a a, we, we can't
8: associate the the crocodile outfit with like the Florida Gators team. We can't talk about sports. Well, like, Is it a
4: crocodile or a gator?
9: I I'm saw it confused. as a crocodile.
4: Because right. John texted me the picture and said gator, and then Sean came <laughs> in and said croc. Uh,
0: I, I want to call him gator. Can we call him Gator? <laughs>
9: yeah, not gonna lie, I felt a little sentimental. You texted me the Halloween costume, and or I texted you the Halloween costume, and you said, "Yeah, we were gonna call you Gator." And like that little sentence right there, it's like, man, you know, right as I leave, I get this Halloween costume, this new inside joke. It was unfortunate yeah. timing.
0: Yeah, see, now he's back.
8: <laughs> but no, wait, go back to the 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 official. You're off the uh, you're off the uh, Tinder thing. Um, so <laughs> My there, topic. so there's a re, there's an official relationship going on there's there I- exclusivity
0: taking place
9: uh it's close but me not quite there we're not okay. quite there yeah
0: okay yeah. how yeah. Does that how, work? Uh, a month how does that, that work in today's world like you what do you call it when you first start to date someone what's the terminology Like password dating Okay. Right? you say we're dating or would you say we're talking to each other
9: hanging out? Dating and out. Yeah. So then,
8: does there have to be a conversation at some uh-huh. point where you decide, like, "Hey, I'm really not seeing anybody else," and I kind of have the expectation that you're not either.
9: Yep, yep. It's basically, uh, will you, you know, will you be my girlfriend? That's uh-huh. that's pretty much the conversation. And then in that at that point, the expectations that neither of you are seeing in each other.
8: Yeah, are you, know. you like social media official yet on this, or is it still nope. under nope. wraps?
9: Yeah, no, I okay. I'm not a huge social media person unless I have a crocodile outfit on. Yeah, that's
0: so true. It's, you yeah. can vouch for that. Right. He tweeted out, old Gator tweeted yeah. out that crap picture. <laughs> well, best of luck. <laughs> Thank well, you. I think like if we just call you Gator. Would yeah. anybody know, like, that you're a media person? Can't we just have Gator on the show? Yeah,
9: I guess so. Pseudonym? <laughs> I guess so. You know? <laughs> I guess so.
0: We ought to Gator. You, couldn't you moonlight on this show? <laughs> I I think it's interesting. Like, okay, I understand, like, that, you know, in the PR world, you don't want to be on air. But I think if, if we keep Gator's appearances to, uh, you know, if he only pops on to talk about things that are not related to sports, Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the what's the harm there? That's yeah. right.
9: Yeah, I'll yeah. run it by them. Run it by. I'll yeah. run it by Chauncey, and you know, run it by Cronin. And all the yeah. all the people over there you, at the Blazers.
0: You know what you should do is you should wear that gator suit to the opening night game.
9: <laughs> Lose my job.
0: <laughs> no, they would love it. You'll stand uh-huh. out. Yeah, they yeah. never forget you. Yeah, that'd be old Gator over there. Great yeah.
8: career advice coming from the corner <laughs> over here.
0: I definitely thought whatever costume we got for him, it was going to have to have headgear to it. Mm-hmm. That's why the gator thing is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a whole nother one where it it's a it looks like a gator's eating you yeah so the jaws of the gator are open and you're standing inside of oh. like the open mouth yeah. of the gator yeah
8: that's a good twist but
0: I, I thought this one was better just make him the gator mm-hmm. well we'll see mm-hmm there it is. Yeah. It's like Ralph Alligator Gar.
8: Do you have some Halloween parties already lined up that you'll be attending in costume?
9: Well, you know, I'm still still trying to figure out if I'm going to that Oregon-UCLA game. So, you know, you get back in your college town, you never know what happens, right? Especially if the Ducks win. So, oh, yeah. You should yeah. wear it
0: to the stadium.
9: Yeah. It's going to be raining that day. We haven't talked. I mean, you guys have been talking about it. I'm not the sports guy anymore. It never but never rains you know, at Austin Stadium. That's true. That's you. true. But, yeah, it's an element so in that easy. game. So we'll Uh, see.
0: It's interesting because I was walking up to the, uh, you know, first of all, I don't think the University of Utah kids, I didn't expect that they are partiers. But there's this house that's right across the street from the stadium. Uh There had to be 250 people in the front yard. (laughs) Wow. And they were all college-aged. They looked like they were drinking. There was some girl standing on the corner. She was holding, like, what looked like a one-gallon jug was a one gallon milk chug. Uh-huh. yeah and it looked like it had antifreeze in it but i'm pretty sure it was just some alcoholic <laughs> beverage uh, all the girls had cowboy boots on and cowboy hats i don't know what that has to do with utah uh-huh. but it was like this big scene yeah and then all of a sudden i looked there was a guy in a in a gorilla costume oh yeah and he was hanging naturally. out naturally full gorilla naturally costume. yeah and i thought there's there's sean yeah like that's the sean of utah <laughs> So wear the Gator thing to Onsen Stadium, man. Yeah,
9: might have to. Might have to. Get
0: yourself on TV. I mean, the colors are kind of right. <laughs> they are right. Green and yellow. Green. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. All right, more ahead. We'll talk Charles Barkley coming up. Leave it here.
1: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
10: That was stupid. Derrick Rose, a great player. He's a great kid. Love his mom. That was stupid. You know, Ernie, we're so blessed. I limp around, but I go home to a big old mansion. There's people who work harder than Derrick Rose who go home to a shack. We got the best life in the world. I'm a poor black kid from Leeds, Alabama, who grew up in the projects. And listen, I don't mind limping around. because When I go home... It's a big old house. And I got, what, I don't even know how to sheets. I got good sheets. I don't know the thread count, but they good. Probably. I got a big old car. I never <laughs> have to worry about my bills. There are pros and cons to what we do for a living. Derrick Rose is making $20 million a year. He got a couple bad knees. That's disrespectful to maids, people who are in the army who go out and kill people and get killed, got no arms and no legs. And listen, as much as I like their Rose, that was just flat out stupid. Charles
0: Barkley has been a polarizing, interesting, entertaining figure on uh, NBA and college basketball for years. He agreed to a 10-year deal today with TNT. It's expected to be well into the nine figures. He has three years left on his deal currently. It pays him $10 million a season. Um, he is looking at a deal that is worth well in excess of $100 million. Barkley's 59. He has repeatedly said he wanted to retire at 60, but TNT is saying, no, no, you're not. Um, Shaq, by the way, Shaquille O'Neal, already has a long-term agreement with TNT and TNT has also re-signed host Ernie Johnson and Kenny Smith to new deals. Um, they want to keep the family together. Why is Charles Barkley, in your opinion, why is he good at his job?
8: Uh, he's authentic. Uh, he just he's not afraid to say things you know that are um, a little off the cuff and get people riled up. Uh, but he's also just very entertaining. It's like. Uh, he's easy to listen to. And if you look at the details of that deal, I mean, he mentioned $20 million a year in yeah. that soundbite. His deal is actually going to be worth uh, roughly $20 million a year if he remains with TNT for the entirety of a deal. It's really the total worth of the deal is $200 million over a decade.
0: He briefly flirted with Greg Norman in the LIV tournament. L.I.V. had talked about bringing him in as a broadcaster. He also has talked about retiring. Is Charles playing? Yes. Is he playing the game here? Of course. I don't think he wants to go to L.I.V. No, he
8: doesn't want to go to L.I.V. And he doesn't want to
0: retire. What's he going to do? No,
8: no. He, like, coincidentally began talking to L.I.V., uh, before TNT got real serious about a new contract, like the reports were that TNT were kind of quiet about a new deal. So he was talking to Dan Patrick, what, back in July, saying that he had met with LIV golf. Come on. That's that's that's
0: negotiating. Steven, why is Charles Barkley good? Yeah,
4: I think Anna touched on it, is that, you know, he's he admits he's not perfect, right? And I think that's what we like about him is he doesn't, you know, he, he's very smart and knowledgeable basketball-wise, but he also knows that he's going to make mistakes and he's human and he's very real with himself. Like, he's very comfortable in his own skin. I think that goes to show a lot. And that show, you know, Inside the NBA is so good. It's uh, just very entertaining with all four of them, and I think it's good that they brought them all back because if they missed one of them, you know, I think Shaq would be the one that you would you could get rid of and it would be fine with just the three of those guys. But when they're all four together, it's a really good show. I just... It's just the honesty that he comes across, and
0: he's not afraid to say things. And so I think that's really good. I think the fact, too, that he doesn't have a championship, he kind of doesn't come with that clout of I'm too good for, you know, he's a man of the people, right? Like, he struggles at golf. He talks <laughs> honestly about being wealthy. Like, he talks with some honesty there, like, about, you know, the money that is involved with in sports, and I think it's very relatable. I also think, like, look, it's been a we – have, we have a long history in our in American culture with – analysts who are former athletes being, you know, in the broadcast booth, right? It starts with, you know, Don Meredith and, and Al Michaels and Dan Deerdorf and, you know, turn out the lights and Frank Gifford on Monday Night Football back in the day and Howard Cosell. And it comes forward all the way to the Manning cast. And I think Charles Barkley advanced the evolution of athletes being in the broadcast booth because he got in there In a way that was so successful for TNT that others tried to copy it and tried to find, you know, a Charles Barkley that they could put on air. And it turns out there's only one Charles Barkley.
8: Don't you think it's interesting that he is going to like more than double what he made over his 16 seasons in the NBA? In the NBA, he made roughly $40 million. He will make, if he stays with TNT for the duration of a decade, $200 million. Like, if I'm a professional athlete, I am looking at my short-lived athletic career and how long my body will hold out, especially if it's the NFL, and I'm figuring out how I can, you know, charm my way into a broadcasting role that is similar
0: to that. I've, I've uh, That's a great point. And I think you're going to see athletes, I think you already are seeing athletes who are being more outspoken, uh, Draymond Green and others who have been more willing to, when they have an injury or maybe when they're eliminated from the playoffs, they've been more willing to jump on these shows to try to stretch their, uh, stretch their brand a little bit and get some familiarity with the audience because they know they want to bridge the gap from their career to their you know, playing career to broadcast career. Um, I've run into Barkley a few times over the years. He played, he's a horrible golfer. And years ago, this was about, this had to be 20, 25 years ago. I wasn't yet in the state of Oregon. And Charles Barkley was playing in a celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe, California. And I had a golf magazine that asked me to go write a freelance piece about Barkley out on the course. So I went to Lake Tahoe, California. And I was supposed to caddy for Barkley. That was the arrangement that was Seriously? originally made. Yeah, But I don't know But yeah, but yeah, Barkley already had a caddy. So all they said was it was Barkley, it was Ahmad Rashad, and there was two other people in their foursome. I don't know who they were. But they said, you can walk with the foursome on the course. So I walked with Charles Barkley and Ahmad Rashad and two other golfers for about six holes and I got bored out of my mind because Barkley was terrible. He, I, like, he shot like 125 that day <laughs> on the course. But the more entertaining thing was the evening because a lot of the celebrities in these Pro-Am tournaments, they'll disappear after the golf's over. Right. They don't want to be around people. They're there to collect the check, play in the tournament, and get out. Barkley was different. He was at Caesars Casino sitting at the bar, drinking, entertaining people, sitting on a stool, talking, loudest person in the room. Like, you know, he was just being himself. And we had, like, Alabama Adriana, who was on the show, and uh, used to sit in Sean's chair, Gator's chair, um, you know, she's a big Auburn fan, right? Yeah. Barkley went to Auburn. She was in, she told a story on air one time. She was in Birmingham, and she was in a restaurant, and Barkley's sitting at the bar. Yeah. Like, just talking, whatever. And then Anna, like during um, during the uh, NBA playoffs, Barkley, no the NCAA tournament yeah. uh, postseason. He was hanging out at the hotel bar there. He too. was hanging out at the hotel we were at. He's just There's
8: a theme here. Yes, it's a theme. Here. He likes bar stools.
0: Okay, he likes bar stools, and I think he just he's a bit of a um, he's a very social animal.
8: Yeah.
0: yeah, he's an extrovert, and I think some of what you see on air is just charles barkley like if there was a camera there or not and i can remember amad rashad was trying to putt and he kept stopping and stepping back from his putt looking at the green reading the green and barkley went over to his golf bag and he pulled out a snicker bar and he said we're gonna be here for a while and he started eating a snicker bar and everybody laughed the whole gallery is laughing he's just an entertainer i think he's really funny and interesting and you know i don't know what he's like as a player i wasn't covering the NBA when he was playing. But I think um, I think he, there's no greater example than Charles Barkley of a guy who has bridged that gap. And he might be a better broadcaster, better analyst than he was a player, and he was a really good player.
8: It's fascinating to me to compare his new deal to people like Bob Costas, Al Michaels, who we've talked about a lot lately, Stephen A. Smith, even Jim Rome. I mean, this contract really puts him in a different league right now. Like Jim Rome has the highest net worth and out-earns most of all the TV and radio sports commentators in the whole country. And this new deal for for Barkley puts him on track to, to put him over that amount.
0: I, 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 he's worth every penny. I just think he's worth the money. Like, I have a hard time saying anybody's worth $100 million, <laughs> but if a broadcaster's worth $100 million, it's Charles Barkley. Meanwhile, Bob Costas is taking some heat for his broadcasting during the playoffs. Have you guys been watching Major League Baseball playoffs? Steven, you watching any of this uh baseball yeah, stuff?
4: Definitely. Uh I have an invested interest in the Padres, so I've been watching them a lot, but I have been hearing a lot of critiques of uh Costas on the Yankees Guardians broadcast.
0: People are telling that people are saying that Costas needs to shut up. That he's talking too much. He's talking over the broadcast. I think I find that fascinating that like he has gone from being uh, you know, revered and adored to people going. We need that guy to stop talking. And the one-two hit up the middle of base hit. The tying run
5: is scored. Here comes Rosario with the winning run, and it's pandemonium at Progressive Field.
0: There it is. Costas is legendary. Is he talking too much though, Stephen? Um, I mean, it's Bob Costas. Like I feel like he can kind of talk as much
4: as he wants, right? Like, he's a legend. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I Maybe a little bit too much, but I don't I don't really mind when, you know, they're talking during baseball games. I think especially during the playoffs, I like to know a lot of information. Uh, So I don't have a problem with it, uh, especially when it's Bob Costas. Now, if it's just some new guy who's just trying to get his voice out there, that's a little different. But Costas is a legend. Like, it was a big deal that he was going to come back and do every game of this series, and he was really excited to do it.
0: Yeah, and he wanted to do it. I just feel like he's not been the same since his eye went awry in that <laughs> Olympics games, you know? Remember when his eye was a big issue? You
8: mean when the his, pink eye when his pink eye had its own Twitter account? Yeah.
0: I think it ever since that <laughs> eye incident, there's been some shine that came off uh, Costas. Costus. <laughs> You he know what I mean? Meme. Yeah,
4: he's like a meme, so you can't take him seriously.
0: Oh, yeah.
8: so unfortunate. Yeah, I, there's a Facebook group dedicated. It's literally called Bob Costas Shut Up.
4: <laughs> it's
8: yeah. terrible.
4: It's like the Jordan cry
0: face. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what are they saying on the Facebook page? Uh,
8: Well, you know, they're saying that he's a Yankees homer, but I don't know if that's true. Is that
0: true? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just glad that you know, they're like I was sad to see the Mariners get knocked out because they were such a good story. And equally, but can I just say this for a second? Did did you guys see the Astros tweet after they swept the Mariners? With the I, broom? Yeah. I thought it was classless.
4: I didn't I, I didn't have a problem with it.
0: You don't? No, Tell
4: no. me why. Well, I mean, they won the game, like it's. It, I thought it was an all-in fun celebration. Like, yeah, they just swept you, so you know you got to take the L. Like, what else are you going to do about it?
0: Yeah, but t- like, really, this is a. This isn't like the Astros. You know, knocking out the Dodgers or the Yankees. Like, I get. Like, you could talk some trash against them, and they could handle it. This is the Mariners. They haven't been to the playoffs in 21 years. This is like me going to the playground and posting up a third grader and then going, scoreboard! You don't do that? Or? You know
4: no. <laughs> You know what I, I mean? Me. No, I mean, that makes a little sense, but at the same time, like that's just kind of what Twitter is. Like, Twitter and social media is all just about like, talking trash and talking junk, and mm-hmm. that's what, exactly what the Astros did. So I didn't have a problem with it.
0: Uh, Astros. I, I, maybe I just have a problem with the Astros in general. <laughs> Leave it here. Get the BFT. Back to the Bald-Faced
1: Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Coming up on the 5 at 5, we're going to talk about Nick Saban and Lincoln Riley. Two examples of highly compensated head coaches. Uh, mismanaging the end of their games. We'll talk about that in the 5 o'clock hour. Anna, meanwhile, has been looking uh, during the commercial break on, at her phone. She is riveted. Uh, there is something to do with a mountain climber and a bear. Anna, what is going on on your phone?
8: This is crazy. Some mountain climber in Japan was going down this rocky ridge when he was suddenly face-to-face with a charging black bear that was seemingly protecting a cub. And the, the climber, who actually has video of it, punches and kicks and screams at the bear as it comes within inches of his face and then heads down to the ridge below him. So he initially was able to fight off the bear's attack, but he had to keep fighting it off with punches and kick it, kicks at the animal's head. This all lasted about 30 seconds. The bear ran off with a cub in tow disappearing into the brush and now the climber says he knows he's the one that's invading the bear's territory yeah i was gonna say that but he had no choice but to defend himself after the bear came after him
0: yeah even though you're invading the territory <laughs> i saw another video that there was there was this dude hiking and he happened to have a gun luckily okay and he had he entered a area where a mountain lion apparently had a what do you call a mountain lions home is it a den
8: Maybe.
0: Whatever it is, I don't yeah. stop to ask. But it, <laughs> this mountain lion was kind of stalking him. Yeah. And he was backing up. And he was backing up. And he was going, no, no. And then all of a sudden, I realized the dude had a gun. And I was like, okay, at least you have a gun. And the mountain lion kept coming at him and was hissing at him and stuff. Oh. And he fired He fired a shot at the mountain lion. He's not a very good shot. He missed. But it scared the heck out of the mountain lion the mountain lion ran away Wow. so i was like dude that dude didn't have a gun like he might have been in a little trouble
8: i'm still unclear on you know those survival guides that talk about okay if you encounter a mountain lion what you're supposed to do if you encounter a bear what you're supposed to do i would die immediately in those circumstances because i would do the wrong thing i know with one of them you're supposed to get big like if you've got a coat, you spread it all out and yeah, you make big it? noises. I don't know. I Let's to a oh, I go to th-
4: gator. Go ahead. I think that's the bear. I want to say bear. When you said that, that was my initial thought.
8: Okay. And then the but the other the other one like one of them you're supposed to play dead. I think, right? Something. I yeah. Don't know.
0: If you do the wrong thing and you're supposed to be getting big and you play dead. <laughs> And it's like it's like that comedian Lavelle Crawford says. Like, has anybody asked the bear? <laughs> like, has anybody consulted with the bear Does on this? The bear knows. The bear know what, what what I'm supposed to do. Um, just how
4: do you stay yeah. calm in that situation, though? Like, I would just be freaking out. I'm with Anna. I'm, I'm dead.
8: Well, when... I would, I would, whatever
4: the right thing is to do, I would immediately do the opposite. It's like
8: when I when you're when I'm on a freeway on ramp okay. and there's like two light signals the and I always take the wrong line. Like, I always go to the wrong one, and then I have to wait yeah. an extra turn while the yeah, other person good at that. goes. I'm you're terrible. Not.
0: You're terrible at that. Um, yeah. Here's what they say. Here's what the uh, mountainlion.org says. Oh, good. Okay? okay. Good source. It says, maintain eye contact with the mountain lion if you see it. Mountain lion. Yeah. Do okay. not run past the mountain lion or away from the mountain lion. It will chase you. Okay. Don't bend over. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't crouch down. (laughs) Aggressively wave your arms. Okay. Throw stones or branches and do not turn away. So you want to back away while aggressively waving your arms.
8: Oh, I remember this now. Cyclists, they threw bikes at a mountain lion once and survived that. And the mountain lion
0: jumped on the bike. So I'm looking at
4: this bear attacks. If it's a brown bear, you play dead. If it's a black bear, do not play dead.
8: (laughs) Wait, seriously?
4: Seriously, this is on (laughs) nps.gov.
8: I'm definitely dying in that circumstance. How am I going to know? How, I mean, how our, am I, I really going to know? Are, are you black? brown or are you tell. black?
0: I've, I've heard you're supposed to move sideways when you see a bear. Because <laughs> oh, no. the bear does not see you moving sideways is threatening. Okay, sideways.
8: Sideways.
0: And crab walk? Like a crab, crab walk? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Excuse me, are you a brown bear or a black bear? <laughs> Excuse me, bear. Leave it here. <laughs>
1: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth.
0: Coming up, you will hear Monday Night Football right here on 750 The Game. Just a few minutes away from the Monday Night Football game. But before we get there, we're going to take you through the five biggest stories in sports. It's the 5 at 5. We do it every day on the show.
1: The 5 at 5.
0: we got a couple of glaring examples of well-compensated coaches who just didn't get it done on Saturday. Nick Saban and Alabama threw the ball and threw the ball and threw the ball at the end of regulation. Attempted a long field goal Left too much time on the clock And Tennessee rallied to beat Alabama 52-49 to
10: For the win for the Volunteers From 40 On the way, a knuckleball He got it! And here they come.
0: Tennessee fans stormed the field, took the goalposts, and threw them in the river. That's what you do when your team wins a football game. Nick Saban failing to run the ball at the end of regulation, failing to use up Tennessee's timeouts. Uh, He left too much time and too much opportunity for the volunteers. Lincoln Riley... Kind of did the same thing late against Utah. Threw three deep balls when USC needed a field goal to beat you to beat Utah at the end of regulation. It felt a little desperate, and I wondered about all the money—the hundreds of millions of dollars that Saban and and Lincoln Riley got. They certainly didn't coach like that on Saturday. And a number two go well leave it to the clippers and la team they're launching the nba's first
8: direct to consumer streaming service they're going to call it clipper vision it will feature 74 games with six count them six different live streams the team announced today uh it'll cost consumers 200 dollars a year hmm. Six streams will feature baller vision that will feature live commentary from former Clippers players like Jamal Crawford, Baron Davis, Paul Pierce. Court vision will be a statistic-based stream. And then the other streams will be in different languages like Korean and Spanish language play-by-play. I love
0: it. It's a nice little experiment. It is. First
8: one will be October 22nd when the Clippers take on the Kings.
0: Pay attention if you are a Pac-12 fan. like to see something like that out there. Number three in our five at five, have you looked at Major League Baseball's postseason picture lately? It's not the same old family picture. The Dodgers, the one seed in the National League, are out, eliminated by the Padres, three games to one. Atlanta, the two seed in the National League, out, eliminated by the Phillies, three games to one. The NLCS has given us the Padres and the Phillies. In the American League, the one seed Astros advanced... Banging trash cans on their way past the uh, Mariners. And we're only waiting to see what happens in the Cleveland-New York series. That series tied two games apiece. But the postseason picture, I sort of like that, you know, we got a five-seed against a six-seed in the National League. And a potential three-seed in Cleveland threatening the Yankees. And a number four. Go. Paula Banquero, that number one overall pick.
8: In the NBA draft, has officially signed a multi-year sneaker deal with, drumroll please, the Jordan brand. The Orlando Magic's forward's exact role in the partnership is not known at this time, but he'll probably work on some player-exclusive shoes, maybe even his own model of sneakers. For now, he's expected to be the headliner of the Air Jordan 37s. He says it's very exciting for him. When Jordan stepped in, it really made him raise his eyebrows. They don't try and sign everybody. Now, this is interesting. The former Duke star says that he hopes to make a Seattle-themed player-exclusive model in honor of his hometown. This thing's going to have a space needle on it.
0: There you go. I like that. Good for him. Will he, uh, with Bancaro, is he going to be a star in the league steven or is it to be determined uh to be determined
4: it's definitely not a for sure thing i'm a little lower on him than i think a lot of people are but uh he can definitely score the basketball
0: finally our fifth thing in the five at five let's talk marcus Mariota. he's had some struggles in the nfl he's benched three years ago but he's making his second chance work in atlanta Mariota had a good game over the weekend and uh Got it done against the 49ers, unfortunately. He was 13 of 14 passing for 129 yards, two touchdowns. He ran another six times for 50 yards and another touchdown. Falcons beat the Niners 28-14. Suddenly, Marcus Mariota looks like the quarterback who was picked number two overall in 2015. After the game, he said, One thing led to another. At the end of the day, I'm grateful for what happened to me. He's talking about being uh, benched. I'm here because of it. I've gotten this opportunity. I'm back with this team. I'm able to help this young group. I'll never take it for granted. He was benched in Tennessee. He was Derek Carr's backup in Las Vegas. Mariota still has some work to do, but the schedule for him getting a little softer as Atlanta in their next few uh, doesn't quite look as imposing as it did uh, before. They're in the NFC South, of course, but uh, you know they'll get the Bengals, coming up then it's the Panthers next two games uh, after that are the Chargers and then the Panthers and then the Bears and then the Commanders and then the Steelers it's not tough for Marcus Mariota I think he's got an opportunity here with about four or five easier games in the next six weeks to really establish himself as the starter in Atlanta keep an eye on Mariota and they're tied they're tied for the division lead
4: right now three and three
0: they're in it they're in it, and, and the questions have never been on defense for them. I mean, I think right now they're just – it's all about can they get the offense going, and they and they did it against the Niners. That's the five at five. Let's start by talking uh, – I, I don't want to talk about the bear anymore. I almost went back to the bear. <laughs> that wasn't one of the I was the like, wait a minute, five. that wasn't the five at five.
8: It's interesting because Mariota, I remember you saying before this season that you really kind of thought he had a chance because he was the type of kid – it was going to take the experience that he had getting benched and not just slink away and actually learn from it and grow from it
0: and use that as part of his development yeah i think you know i think sometimes it's when you look at the passers who come into the league and i'll even use a guy like Justin Fields in Chicago i think it's really it's a hard transition to go from a college program where you're a star into a nfl system and and but, granted Teams that are picking high are usually garbage. Yeah. So you're putting a really good player who's been in a great college program and had a ton of success and maybe won a Heisman or finished second in the Heisman voting or whatever the case. And then now you're throwing them to the Wolves. And I think about Tom Brady's story, you know, with New England. Like, I think it was really fortunate for Brady that he got picked so late. And that he got a chance to sit behind Drew Bledsoe until Bledsoe got hurt. Mm -hmm. It's just a huge advantage to not have to go in there and play right away. And so Mariota had to play right away. And I think he did fine in Tennessee. Didn't end well for him, but he had some moments there. And I think, you know, you look at the parallel of Jameis Winston and he, and neither one of them had great success. But now we're watching Mariota sort of, uh, you know, have this second opportunity. He's an older, wiser player, and he's, you know, he's healthy.
8: He's got a chance. I'm rooting like heck for him. I really, I, I like him. I like his character. I like his story, his family. And I just, I hope he continues to do well.
0: I saw the story, uh, uh, you know, about him having some success. And I only saw it because somebody had retweeted it. Mm-hmm. It was his mother. <laughs> uh, and and his, mo- his mother and I, she, she messages me once in a great while. Yeah. And I think, you know, she's real proud of him. And I think she's rooting hard for him to have success, obviously. But... Especially after especially after what happened in Tennessee. Yes. I just think you want good things to happen for good people. Yeah. All right, grab a podcast of the show wherever you get a podcast. We are back tomorrow with another great show and big guests. Later in the week, Dan Lanning, Oregon's coach, will be with us. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State's coach, will be with us. Big guests all week long. Jeff Schwartz, former Oregon Duck, will be on Friday's show. whole bunch of talk about UCLA and Oregon, Chip Kelly, as the week unfolds. Uh, Monday Night Football coming up next.